Check the program. 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 Hi, this is Amanda from Check the Program. Wanted to bring you a little bit of bonus content. Here's my full-length interview with Brian Lind, the sound designer for Every Brilliant Thing on the Belfry Theatre until December 22nd. Enjoy. Hi, my name is Brian Lins. Uh, and Brian, uh, can you tell me a bit about this show? I understand it's a bit of an unusual one as a sound designer. Yes, as a sound designer, it's a very unusual one uh, because the whole sound design is played live. And uh, so as a sound designer, usually, and, and, and the difference, I guess, would be the fact that in the preparation, I would usually um, source sounds and music and on the internet and and then I would put everything into folders where I thought everything should go in the script. And, and uh, it, with this one, I only had the limitation of what records I had because, well, we had a small budget where we could go buy certain records if we needed them because there were certain records mentioned in the script that we needed and I didn't have. So um, I was working on a show in Winnipeg, Bang Bang, which was the previous show here. And uh, I took pictures of all my records and then went on Spotify when I was there looking for sounds that would be right for this show. So I took those digital files and put them in the folders and listened to them and we worked on them in rehearsal. And then uh, when the director said, yeah, that works, or I felt something worked, I would try it in rehearsal with the album. So I kind of went from digital, from photographs of the album to digital to, uh, to the actual vinyl. And I understand you're actually on stage for this one too. I am on stage. They've, uh, they've rented me a, uh, a turntable set up um, and the, the funny thing is that uh, um, on my coffee cup when I started rehearsals um, they instead of Brian they put brain so I called myself <laughs> DJ brain spins so that's my DJ fake date DJ name <laughs> another thing about this show that I thought might be challenging is that it's so different because it involves so much audience participation so it would be kind of a different show every night it is a different show every night, and uh, the good thing is, is that um, I don't have to change any records at like a very crucial spot um, because of the improv. My music isn't really relating. It plays during some of the improvisational moments, but there's nothing I have to kind of like whip out and play because the audience has changed the course of the show or the feeling of the show. Um, there is one section though, which is really difficult, where she talks about uh, four. Uh, the father in the show, um, who uh, is imaginary, but is also one of the uh, imp improvised characters from the audience. Um, her relation to her father uh, depended on the kind of music he was listening to. So if he was in a, a good mood, he'd be listening to some cool jazz. If he was listening to something really upbeat, he could, you know, she might, might run the risk of being swung around the room. Um, and sometimes she doesn't go, you're not allowed into the room when it's free jazz and it sounds like, you know, all the instruments are falling down the stairs. But she's, there's four of them and sh they come very, very quickly and I only have two turntables, so I have to be really, really fast with the records. So uh, that's been a challenge. You might, you're developing some new turntablism skill. <laughs> I think so. There's no scratching in this, though. <laughs> so, um, 
I remember we were talking before. Uh, th- yeah, I remember talking with you at, in the lobby of the last Belfry show, and that kind of got me thinking about how this might be a nice time to connect with you about this show. And you were talking about uh, selling your record collection. Yeah, so uh, how's that going? What, what prompted you to do that? Uh, what prompted me to, to sell my record collection is that basically I wasn't accessing it, uh, except for this show. It was the very first time I've ever accessed my records for a show because everything is so easy to find on the internet. You know, If you're looking for things, you can source things on the internet. It's just like a click of a switch and nowhere to go, the right search, search uh, names. And um, so that's one thing. Another thing is um, it was a huge collection and uh, we're moving out of our house. And uh, it was time to sort of, you know, downsize. I'm keeping a bunch of records, but I had like, like almost 10,000 records. So it takes up a lot of room. And I tell you, this record sale and selling it, I'm still continuing to sell it, uh, sell the albums, is really great. Like it's, I've always wanted a record store, like ever since I've been sort of collecting records. I like loved going into record stores. and. And, uh, and, and so I had like the, a two day sale where like, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people came and bought records and everybody walked away happy because the prices were really good. And I'm still selling my records on, uh, you know, used Victoria and Facebook and, you know, now I'm selling online on Discog, some of the kind of more high end records. And that's been kind of fun too. But they're all, and people come over to the house as well. Like they'll phone and come on over and I'll turn them on to something they've never heard before. and. We talk about music and concerts, and I've met some really interesting characters. There's a show there with the people that I've met, but I think the uh, copyright licensing would be really expensive because I'd want to play the records that I was talking about with these guys. Um, and, and the other thing is, with this show, like it was right in the middle of me selling records, and I was selling some jazz records, and I probably sold about 100 jazz records. And, and then I got this call to do this show that was all jazz you know, and soul music, so like I pulled all those records so they're not available. Yeah. <laughs> what was some of the stuff that you were surprised that people you were interested in that was in your collection? Well, nothing surprised me because my record collection, I bought these records originally. So some of the really oddball records, um, you know, somebody would want them uh, because they were oddball guys. And we talk about oddball records, like really unusual or exotic records. Um, uh, some, some, like I have a lot of like world records that I picked up over the, over the years. And I met some really interesting DJs that were sort of like buying records to sample. And so that was kind of cool. And some Bollywood, like some, a lot of DJs were buying some Bollywood stuff. And, and, uh, and then there were just like some young people that just like had no idea, just loved the record covers. And, and I don't know if you know who Ravine is. Do you know, he, he was a, uh, a hypnotist that toured around Canada, Canadian. And uh, for years and years, you know, he'd play everywhere across Canada. And I have this record and it had a, a, a picture of Ravine on it and a guy his, his girlfriend looked at it and said, Jimmy, you're on the cover of a record. And he looked exactly like this guy. So they were taking pictures and it was just great. Like then there were musicians that came and we could talk about music and, and everybody still like to this day, still when they come over to my place, they're going like, how come people haven't bought this record? And, and so uh, it's been exciting. The things that I'm kind of, I thought comedy records, I have some really great comedy records and people really don't seem that interested in comedy records or, um, and musicals, like I thought, oh, like I've got some amazing musicals, and you know, I put, it, I sort of put the word out, and you got to sell a couple here and there, but uh, you know, it's mostly the '80s, '70s, um, yeah. So yeah. 
I remember you mentioning like the the music bed stuff from like the BBC shows. That was really interesting. Yeah, that's really interesting stuff. I, I still have some of that left, but there was a, a gentleman who came over and purchased a whole bunch of uh, production music, which, uh, which had some of the greatest musicians creating and playing on these records, which were musical beds for commercials and news reports and, uh, you know, you know, anything that a radio or a TV or, you know, um, some sort of maybe even amateur theater companies would, would buy at the time and use for their, their, be, their, their musical uh, uh, portions of the shows. So, uh, yeah, then those are really, um, really, really sought after a lot of them for beats for the, for the DJs as well. Yeah, so uh, it's, it's going to be sad when it's all gone. <laughs> Kind of ironic that, you know, you go to sell these records and then you get a phone call for a show like this right in the middle of it. I know, that that was really, really bizarre. It's kind of like almost fitting in a way. Like, I sort of think it's a nice kind of end to it. I mean, I, I remember Adam came over to do a little feature for his uh, Swatsky sign-off. And uh, he was talking about, you know, this is a good story because it's like a, you know, the guy who, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an end of 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 a period of, of my life, right? Which was really important to me, and uh, and so like this has become um, a kind of a, another kind of touchstone moment is that I get to actually play albums. And the weird thing is is that because of this show, I've had to go out and buy some records. So I've been going to thrift stores again, which I haven't done, you know, looking for records. And I've been able to because of the small budget. We need a couple of songs that for the show. Been able to buy, you know, like the the. The records that they're now selling at, you know, Ditch Records or all, you know, but I have, Nanaimo always has the records that I want, so I have to drive up to Nanaimo at Fascinating Rhythm to, for Steve to, uh, to sell me a couple of records. And just yesterday, like, the director came up with another idea for the end of the show song, and I went like, oh my God, I found every record store in, on the island, and only one in Nanaimo had it, so I went up to that and bought that record, but they're so expensive now, so expensive. Yeah, it's kind of like a marriage between your your theater life and your DJ life. It's pretty cool. Yeah, no, it, it is, and you know, it's uh, it's it, it's nice to be with the audience and with the show, and 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 it's taken me into like because I've been in rehearsals every single day as well. Uh, I've become not just because of the music, but in, entrenched in the show because we've been able to because it's an improvisational show, and there aren't a lot of. Uh, people in the room, there's the director, the two stage management uh, people, and myself, and I have an assistant on this who's, uh, who's as a mentor, uh, um, teaching him the, the ropes of uh, sound design. And we are the kind of, uh, the dummy, you know, the, 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 uh, the guinea pigs uh, for uh, Dawn to improvise with. So I've had a really good time because, uh, you know, coming from a acting background and being an actor, I've been able to play the kind of tough, audience member who just doesn't really want to say anything or the one that says too much or the one that you know trips or you know when she's running through the audience I leave my shoes in the way so that you know she has obstacles to give her obstacles because we didn't know what she would face with the audiences. Yeah what's it like now that the show's I know it's still early and very early in the run what's it like now that the show's finally opened? Uh, well we were opening on on Thursday, um, but we've had a, a, a preview on Sunday and then a preview last night, which were completely different audiences. One was kind of a bot house, so that there were a lot of people that knew each other, and there was like a festive atmosphere, and uh, and that was, I mean, that was great. Um, all the volunteers were amazing. I mean, uh, and and also there's a there's a part where um, 
she has to like run through the audience and 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 it was a, a larger audience than um, the second preview so it was like a real learning curve on just how much time things take because you, she's working through the audience and the belfry doesn't have a middle aisle so she's got to be on the other side of uh, the audience or running through the middle and then of course there's some seats on the stage which are some of the best seats in the house and you're not just picked because you're sitting on the stage um, you've got the best view of the whole show because you can watch the more uh, the audience watch the show with you and Dawn is on the stage and she's close and it's very intimate. Um, I wanted to ask you about your radio show that uh-huh. was was on CFEV for what, like 11 years? Yeah, about that. Yeah. Do you have any favorite memories from that time? Yeah, I I do. I loved doing that show. My favorite slot, I I moved around the dial, the the dial, not the dial, but the the time schedule. Um, But my favorite slot was 6 to 8 in the morning. Um, And uh, it it was great, and I would get phone calls. I think my, my favorite was just playing weird and wonderful records and people calling me up in the morning and uh, and there was <laughs> there was a guy in Port Angeles who called me up and said he was dancing naked at you know eight o'clock in the morning I don't know to uh, to one of the songs I was playing you know it was just like living out in the woods kind of listening to my show another woman called from Delta and said could you please turn that song off my scra- my cat is scratching the speaker. <laughs> But uh, I loved it. The only, you know, those records are heavy to take, and, and that was another reason, like with with my records, why I didn't listen as much because the radio show I was doing all the time, and so I was like picking out records, picking out records, and I became one of like, like record hoarder. The room looked like there were records piled everywhere, and it was hard to put them back, and I could never find records. And I mean, it's not a reason to quit, uh, you know, listening to records, but uh, it was a, a a lot of work, like bringing all the records, and like, and I'm I don't know, a bit of a perfectionist, and and because it, and that's kind of I got into sound design a little bit with the radio show too because I was always kind of trying to I was always doing themes so I was always trying to like find a flow and find the music that would all fit within an hour or two hours and uh, yeah and it it, it, uh, it it took its toll and especially getting up in the morning and lugging all the records all the time to the station and but uh, so much fun and I, you know I, if I have to retire at some point from acting and sound design I mean really hoping to do another radio show. I also had to find a lot of fill-ins because I'm out of town a lot. So that was really hard for the radio show to, uh, and so I would make them in the basement and again spend a lot of time putting them together and, and uh, try to find other hosts to fill in. And, yeah. So if you had to pick a song to go with this interview that we could play, what would it be? Two Sleepy People. No. <laughs> One Sleepy No, I, I had a bad sleep last night. Uh, song for this, this interview. Oh my gosh. Um, uh, oh my God! Uh, no, I'm just going through all these inappropriate songs <laughs> that make no sense. Uh, song. Ooh, I'm really on the spot. Or a favorite song from your time at CFUV or something like that. Um, a time at my a favorite song, a favorite album of mine, and I I kind of like think this was sort of the touchstone of me getting into interesting music was uh, a record called uh, Dirk Bogard Recites Lyrics for Lovers. And he reads Cole Porter and Irving Berlin songs. And it's very dramatic, kind of in the William Shatner doing, you know, Rocket Man. But this was way before. And, and because he was such a good actor, he almost pulls it off. Like, it's very romantic. There's very lush strings in the back. You must remember this. A kiss is still a kiss. 
you know, with a very rich British accent is quite lulling. And yeah, I like that record. And I also, I, I never spent a lot of money on records, so I think I got that record for like $1.49 at Kelly's in Vancouver. Thanks, Brian. Is there anything else you wanted to share about the show or anything else? Uh, no, it just, uh, it's a really exciting show and, uh, and the music's pretty cool. And every night I get to DJ like for about an hour just playing jazz um, as the audience is kind of coming, coming in, sitting in the lobby and, and, and moving into the, the, the space and it's uh, it's great to just listen to these records and it's nice to sometimes just put on a whole album and listen to the whole through line like because there's an hour and I can listen to the whole through line of you know some of these great great jazz artists. So you're DJing in the lobby before the show too? I'm DJing in the theater but the music's pumped into the lobby. That's awesome. Great, thanks. That was my interview with Brian Linz, sound designer for the Belfry Theatre's Every Brilliant Thing, which is running until December 22nd. If you'd like to listen to past episodes of Check the Program, which is an arts podcast about Victoria's arts and culture, you can find past episodes online at anchor.fm slash check dash the dash program. Thanks for listening. The greatest show. The greatest show you know. The program. Check the program. Check the program. It's called Check the Program. Check the program. Yeah. Check the program. The greatest show that you know. Victoria. Check the program. Check the program, yeah.